Hey, what's up everybody? Due to ongoing technical issues with my recording equipment, I can only bring you the interviews for this week's episode. But don't worry, I'm going to spend the weekend trying to resolve them all, and also I'll be trying to get the Halloween episode up by tomorrow as well. So uh, please bear with me while I'm doing with dealing with these technical problems. And here are the two interviews that I promised for this week. Thank you very much, and enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! I'm gonna show the whole world why I was the unscripted, uncensored, loose cannon of commentary! I'm back, baby. Broadcasting from Manchester in the United Kingdom, this is the Aaron Meta Show. You're back with the Aaron Meta Show on Mixcloud.com forward slash Aaron Meta. You can also find me on the Stitcher app if you search Stitcher and also if you download the app as well. Search the Aaron Meta Show, that's A-R-U-N-M-E-H-T-A show, and you will find me on there and you can follow me. And also you can check out other episodes of this show as well. Thank you very much for tuning in uh, wherever you are in the world. I have a really special guest with me right now. He is uh, the uh, currently uh, writing a book. It is titled Yikes. I'm out of money already and the month is only half over. Five key steps to instantly lower your financial stress. Uh, Majid Yassin, thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, thank you for having me, Aaron. Yeah. So tell me, what prompted you to write this book? Well, uh, to be honest with you, Aaron, I've uh, I've had uh, quite a bit of um, experience with this whole matter of too much month at the end of the money myself, and uh, having come up with a number of strategies uh, for myself um, to come out of these kind of financial woes, I figured that um, it was something that I would like to do uh, to help other people. Uh, in order to do the same thing. But during my struggles, what I realized it was that it was uh, less to do with financial and more to do with how we actually saw ourselves in terms of our own ability to earn and manage money. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how much you want to expand on your own personal experiences, but uh, what's, um, I mean, what happened to yourself uh, on a month by month uh, basis in regards to your own finances? Well, um, Aaron, um, I'm um, uh, a, uh, uh, what I have been, in fact, is a, a technical education consultant, and uh, I've worked in IT for about 25 years now. 14 of those I spent uh, teaching and training and uh, currently I have uh, my own business uh, doing that and other things and I have diversified my income since then. But essentially what I found is myself win £16,000 in bad debt, credit card debt essentially and you know having in excess of nearly seven eight hundred pounds a month that i had to make in payments just to uh, uh to keep the wolves at bay uh alone so you know that was a, a struggle that i had myself and you know the funny thing is aaron that um i was having a look at some some statistics and you know those statistics say that if you're uh, eight thousand pounds in credit card debt and you pay uh, the minimum payments, it would take you uh, 63 years to pay off those debts. My God. 
Oh, yeah, that's and that's horrible. if you have a 19% or above APR on your credit card, that is what it would essentially uh, take you. And in fact, it would probably cost you around about that much money as well in order for you to do that. What's the temptation behind these debts? I mean, and these credit card debts. I mean, what's the uh, what's the thing that ensnares you into them? I think uh, initially when you get them, you're uh, very cautious and you're uh, very wary of them. I know certainly I was when I first uh, took up a credit card and it is a bit of a uh, an ensnare is exactly the right word that you used. Simply because at first you get them, you're very uh, reasonable with them. And then, you know, as you build up your uh, um, your credit rating, you get additional uh, credit cards and then you start consolidating your loans. So, you know, for me, that was the case. So I was like, all oh, right, I can get a 0% interest and now I don't have to pay the 24% or whatever it was on my original card. So you get the uh, 24, uh, uh, the uh, transfer all of your debts over. But what I, the mistake that I made, certainly, and I'm sure there's many people out there as well that did the same. I kept my other card, that, but I didn't use it, right? Mm. And so, you know, now I've got 0%, right, for 12 months or whatever. Everything's great. But then, you know, my credit rate uh, limit goes from 3,000 to 6,000. And then... You know, the same thing happens. You haven't got enough money uh, uh, till the end of the month, but now you've got three grand credit that you can go into in order to pay those really critical bills, right, that you really need to in order for you to, you know, not go, um, you know, get a a, a red a black mark against you in um, on your credit score, essentially. And, you know, I did this a couple of times and I got from one 6,000 card to two 6,000 cards. Now I've got three credit cards, right? Or that's what I ended up with, three credit cards, two with six and a half grand each on them and another with three grand, you know. And, you know, next thing you know, I'm 16 grand in debt. Jeez. You look at all these big numbers, don't you? And you think, yeah, you can uh, you can just take a little bit more and just take a little bit more. And it's just, uh, and it's, uh, I'm, I'm really astonished that, uh, you know, they'd, uh, you know, they'd give you even that opportunity to basically say, look, you know, we know you got, you know, you've got this debt, but obviously we can give you the opportunity to grasp some more. I mean, to me, I'm really surprised, you know, something like that can actually okay. exist. So, um, the, you know, that, that surprise would come if you uh, ascribed to the uh, notion that financial institutions are anything but ethical. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, their only premise is, right, to make money. They know that with 19% uh, APR, if you owe them 10 grand it's going to take you 65 years to pay it off and you're going to be paying hmm. six, seven times that value because that's their way of making money aaron yeah i i'm I, you know it's, and it's absolutely shocking as well i mean see and seeing that it's not just affecting not just affecting yourself but it's affecting you know maybe thousands maybe millions of people uh you know who uh you basically find themselves in these situations and having to take out credit cards just basically to make things afloat for a good couple of months yeah, I mean, um, so uh, the thing is, Aaron, it's not just isolated, like you say, and it is widespread. And the the problem is even wider spread, because when you start looking at things like I did, um, what you start finding is that, you know, 
And the government will tell you that the economy is up and we're doing better and we're doing this, that and the other and things are great. Based what on people, what? What people don't realize is right now, right, the, uh, the our, what do you call it, um, our um, percentage, right, uh, rate is, you know, next to nothing, right, hmm. on our uh, uh, APR. So um, what we've got is... Um, it's artificially low, right? Yeah. It's artificially uh, low is uh, the uh, England base rate, essentially, mm. right? Yeah. I mean, it's less than 1%, right? It's artificially low. It should be, uh, you know, between 3 and 4%, which is, you know, what's healthy. So you've got all these people that are being given incentives to buy properties now, and there's all this talk about the property market is up and this, that, and the other, right? And yeah. but that's on you know mortgage rates that are less than two percent. What happens when the interest rates go back up to four, five percent, where they were before the recession in two thousand and seven hit? Mm. Those people that bought uh, buy properties now, they're not going to be able to uh, afford them again. And then we're going to be back in the same situation that we were in in 2007. So it's a false econ economy. And they're, you know, telling us that the economy is up, but it's it's not true. No, I mean... Actually, I wanted to get your opinion on this because uh, the you know the government keeps telling us so like you know GDP is going up you know look at all these jobs that are being created you know look at uh, look at all these apprenticeship schemes we're giving to young people in order to get into the workplace yet you you hear that on you know talking from the politicians from Westminster on on BBC News and whatever yet when you look around and you ask people do you think things are getting better you know, you get the answer of well no I don't really notice anything different that's been going on in the last you know two or three years. Um, the thing is, Aaron, that, you know, it, uh, you, you make a very valid point, right? And, you know, it's very astute of you that you uh, you are doing that. Uh, I'm assuming on purpose being the intelligent guy that you are, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, throw you out a compliment there, Aaron. <laughs> okay. And so the, the thing is, right, that, you know, the government will say, oh, yes, unemployment is down. Uh, by X amount of pe uh, percent, right? And what they've done, right, is they've, those X amount of percent of people, right, have gone on to, you know, disability living allowance, or you've got people, right, that are getting working families tax credit that are on, you know, low income families. So we've still got this hemorrhaging of money from the government that's going out and we've got this unemployment that's coming down but it's not because you know there's more jobs in the market it's simply because they're re uh, uh re assigning what it means to be unemployed yeah right the category mm -hmm. and there you know don't get me wrong aaron there's always opportunities out there you know and there's many of them and you know i've uh, personally taken, you know, the steps to go out and actually look for some of those opportunities that are out there. And there's many of them. And a lot of the massive corporations and a lot of the big opportunities that come around actually do come around it during a recession. You know, if you have a look back at um, history, 
And so, you know, I'm uh, responsible. I've been an IT trainer for many years, right? In fact, you were one of my students many, yeah, many years ago. Yeah, I was ago. actually, yeah. And, uh, you know, um, but what I uh, found during that entire process of my 14 years of education is that a lot of those people came in because they were dissatisfied in where they are and they were making a shift in their careers. Mm-hmm. And it's the empowering of people that really uh, motivated me more than really the IT. As much as I love IT, um, you know, I love to inspire and motivate people more and help people get out of this uh, you know, the the trap that we're in, that, you know, essentially our education system breeds. Yeah. I wanted to ask about, you know, what what would you like to see be done with these uh uh, with these with, with these credit card companies, with these uh, with with these companies. I mean, uh, there's you know there's those on the uh, the right hand side of politics that basically say you know uh, oh you shouldn't regulate too much because uh, you know that will hurt the economy and yada yada yada. I mean, uh, do do you think there's not enough legislation towards like the financial sector and these financial institutions uh, to uh, to basically stop people from getting into this uh, you know uh, black hole of uh, of, of debt. Um, I think uh, uh, in many ways, Aaron, they're a law unto themselves. You know, we've got um, people that are crying out, but we've got CEOs that are still getting, you know, three million, you know, uh, pound uh, raises, right? And the very people that were responsible for the financial, uh, you know, uh, problems that we're in now get paid off with X amount of millions of pounds and nothing happens, you know. And at the end of the day, the fat cats, you know, with the fat uh, uh, pockets at the top of the chain, they're running things, right? And I think us as, um, you know, the ordinary person on the street, I think what we can do to make a difference in our own lives is not to say, you know, what can I do to affect government legislation that will allow or stop this problem from happening, but rather, okay, uh, get financially educated or educated in myself, right, so that I can make a difference in my own life and, you know, maybe empower those people around me as well. Yeah, isn't that a scary uh, situation? That uh, I mean, I was looking at uh, uh, schools uh, and education you know, a couple of, I would say, about a year ago now, and uh, you know the fact that uh, some kids now are coming out of some schools uh, that without any ability to read and write, how on earth are they expected to survive? in you know the, the capitalist market as it exists now uh, with no uh, math or any arithmetic ability in order to make judgments on their own finances yeah i mean it's quite astonishing you know uh, uh, to me uh, that our education is establishments you know and essentially it really uh, stems back to the industrial age in terms of our educational structure because what uh, happened was prior to the industrial age everybody were, were entrepreneurs right and uh, so you know we talk about uh, um, you know um, a what do you call it not uh, necessarily a, a materialistic world you know but um Back in those days, they, everybody were um, entrepreneurs. So we'd have people, right? So let's say, for example, I'm a blacksmith, right? Yeah. And I'll trade with you. You're a baker, right? So we traded goods and we traded money. And then the industrial age came along. And then what the uh, industrialists realized that they needed employees 
but everybody were entrepreneurs, right? And so they had to create a an education system that allowed them to create employees, right? Yeah. And our education system now for the last couple of hundred years or whatever it's been, right, has it literally been geared towards that, right? Creating um what do you call it? Employees. Yeah. Right. That don't really have um, you know. Uh, the an idea of uh, entrepreneurialism, right? Or they're completely scared of going out on their own. I just mm. find it absolutely astonishing. Well, there, there, right? there, there, say it's even, today, it's even worse than that you, because yeah. uh, I mean, you've got I mean, recently the real latest criticism of some of these schools uh, are basically that uh, they're very good at teaching kids how to uh, take exams, but they're not very good at teaching them real life issues. Yeah. Um, absolutely right. So today we're in the, we, today we're in the information age, right? The industrial age is dead. Where's the industry in Britain today, right? Mm. The, it, there is an industry in Britain today. We've become a service industry. That's what we've become. Absolutely. This is the information age, right? And how are our schools, our colleges, our financial institutions? you know, really preparing the young, uh, our uh, young of today to really make it in the information age when they're uh, teaching, right, industrial age, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, it's an industrial age education. It just doesn't make any sense at all. We have all of the tools at our fingertips in terms of, you know, social media, you know, yourself, uh, um, doing the uh, the radio stations online, <laughs> we have such massive tools at our hands in order to reach a massive audience, and yet we don't use them. It doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, um, I mean, you you personally, you were sixteen thousand uh, in debt. Obviously, there's been cases where they've been they've been you know far worse than that, and uh, they've people like going to like forty grand or something like that, something extremely yeah yeah of course I know people huge. that are like that yeah. I mean, is there any ways? I mean, to basically, uh, I've, I've heard about these you know these debt companies uh, that basically try to structure your debt and try and come up with nego- try to negotiate with uh, companies to uh, get payments done. How effective are these? organizations and uh, do they actually bring it uh, do do anything positive in regards to helping people structure their debts yeah absolutely they do um you know there's uh, there's many of those uh, kind of companies that allow people to do that and essentially what they'll do um you know uh, they'll take a, a phone call and ask you basically about all of the debts you've got right so they'll take into consideration right your, your mortgage your credit cards your loans you know even the overdraft that you have on your bank and then uh, what they'll do they will negotiate okay uh, with the organizations they'll take your own personal uh, financial circumstances into consideration and what they'll do they'll negotiate with all of of your debtors and uh, they'll basically take your interest rates down to zero and say right you you know from this point onwards we'll manage your debts you pay us x amount of money so let's say for example you know in my example i was paying 800 pounds a, a month in uh, for all of the people in from my loans to my credit cards okay to my overdraft etc all of these people that i owe, owed money to that i was paying 800 pound a month 
right? And they take all of my uh, financials into consideration. How much do you pay on bills? How much do you pay on your council tax? How much is your mortgage? What are your living expenses? And then go, okay, how much do you uh, have left over? And how much can you reasonably, um, what do you call it, afford at the end of it? So let's say if I said, well, honestly, without me actually struggling and having to lose my home, you know, and, you know, having to, me and my family and my children be humiliated I could honestly pay uh, 200 pounds a month and you know I would still be reasonably comfortable yeah right so these companies then would turn around okay and negotiate with all of the companies that you had uh, uh, basically debts with and then they'd uh, negotiate with them to bring your interest rate down to zero and say and then they'd take that 200 pounds and they'd split it equally between all of the companies uh, uh, that you owed money to and give them that much every month and you rather than paying the debtors you would pay the uh, the company that's helping you to solve that debt and the whole strategy is about getting you out of debt which means you know due during that period that you agree with them, okay, you know, it can be from one year to four years, depending on what it is that you want to achieve, mm. okay, and then they'll say, right, you know, you can't use your credit card from this point onward, because what we're trying to achieve is to get you out of debt, Yeah. You know, and so what it allows people to do, right, is not have that financial stress, that financial burden, okay, and it allows them to consolidate. But ultimately, the best way, you know, to get out of debt, okay, and, you know, certainly the strategy that I used, Aaron, myself, okay, is to, you know, find an additional source of income, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, like I said before, it will take you 64 years to get out of debt if you're anything more than uh, £9,000 of debt. If you could find a secondary source of income that brings you £500 a month, okay, uh, it would take you 18 months, right, to get rid of that £9,000 debt. And you would only pay nine and a half grand, Okay, in total, as opposed to paying nearly 60 if you could only pay an extra 500 uh, pounds a month. Yeah. So as as a secondary source of income. And those figures have been, you know, uh, checked by three different chartered accountants. Right. Yeah. They're absolutely correct. Okay, so I mean, let's say for example, we have you know an average Joe. He's got himself nine thousand in debt, and so he would need to take out a second job. I mean, uh, are we talking about you know what a full time job with either you know a night you know a, a night shift and uh, then or some kind of weekend job? I mean, uh, is it just basically? <laughs> just, is see, that's it, the funny thing, yeah. you see, Aaron. We're still thinking inside the box in terms of jobs, right? Okay. Because, you know, your job, right, is exactly what our education system, right, it, uh, trained us for, mm. right, is for a job. Now, this is a radio station, right, that goes li- uh, that goes out online, right? Yeah, it is. Right. Okay. So, is that industrial age thinking or is that information age thinking? It's probably information age thinking and I think I probably exactly, know what you're getting right? at. Yeah. So, you talk about jobs, right, but that's not information age thinking, is no, it? No, it's not. It's not, right? Okay. I mean, there's a million different enterprises that you can get out into out there, some of which I, you know, uh, um, 
practice myself. I'm not going to talk about them, you know, uh, on the station. You know, I'll give my details for anybody that would be interested, you know, in uh, interested in looking at those. It's just the wrong forum, and you know, I couldn't give you the information correctly enough for you to be able to make an educated decision yeah. on which you would want to go with. Right? Obviously, that takes a little bit of consultation in terms of you know people's backgrounds. Okay, what they want to achieve, how much time they've got to dedicate all of those kind of things, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a million things that you can do, right? There's eBay, there's a whole load of things that you can do online. You know, there's a whole load of, you know, home-based businesses, okay, that are available today, you know, uh, you know, businesses that are being, you know, called the business of the 21st century by, you know, massive business owners, right? Like yeah. Donald Trump, right? And Warren Buffett that are, you know, um, they're openly, you know, uh, what do you call it? They're uh, putting their name against, you know, things like direct selling, right? Your uh, uh, and uh, network marketing, as an example. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I guess one thing I would say to that would be is that uh, you know, if you're gonna set up on your own, it's gonna be, you know, there's gonna be a lot of dedication put towards it. There's gonna be uh, obviously time that's gonna be put towards it. Which uh, you know, if uh, you know, if some, you know, I'm not saying you know what you say, what you what you're suggesting is wrong or anything like that. It's yeah. just for some people who are working, you know, uh, hours upon hours uh, for very little pay and who are basically you know flat mm-hmm. out exhausted and basically yeah. can't wait till basically a, a you know. Uh, uh, um, basically sharing in the air that it's Friday. I mean, for those type of people, it's going to, you know, it's uh, asking them to go the extra mile on top of the extra mile in order basically to uh, uh, get them into the situation that you're talking about. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, um, Aaron, we've been programmed by our, um, what do you call it, our educational system, okay, to uh, create somebody else's dream. Right, mm-hmm. which is essentially what we're doing, right? The CEO of your company, right? The directors of your company are not sat at a desk for 40 hours slogging it. They're probably somewhere on a golf course living it because what they did is they put, you know, the uh, five or 10 years, okay, of hard graft into a business and now they're reaping their rewards, right? Because, you know, Henry Ford of the Ford company said, I would rather have. Have 1% of 100 people's efforts, okay, than 100% of my own. Okay. Right? Yep. So, and, and so, you know, um, I, let me ask you a question, Aaron. I sure. did this thing, right, you know, uh, called, uh, you remember Charles hey, We're Dickens turning this around here. I thought this was, you know, I thought this was the Aaron Meta show, but obviously, yeah, you, go, you can ask me a question. Ask me a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was the Charles Dickens show, right? Uh, the Charles Dickens who created, uh, and it's just really, um, actually, uh, the answer to your question, right? Charles Dickens who created the Christmas Carol. Yeah. Yeah? So we went the Christmas past, Christmas future, Christmas present. Mm-hmm. Right, just to cut a long story short, I looked into my past, right? In the last 25 years, I've spent working 14, 80-hour days for somebody else, okay? Yeah. As a teacher, and I'm sure all of the teachers that uh, come on this show will be able to relate to it, you do eight hours in work, okay? And you do four or five hours afterwards while you're marking all of the things and you're preparing for classes, lessons, so on and so forth, Yeah. Right? Anybody who's in a reasonable job, right, knows exactly what that feels like. So I looked into the next 25 years, what's my life going to be like in another 25 years, okay? Mm -hmm. And I saw nothing different than I saw in the last 
25 years. And that's when I realized that something had to change today. And if it took me five to 10 years today, okay, to um, work on my own business, okay, and get financially free, wouldn't that be worth it rather than working the next 25 years in the same way that I had been doing in the last 25? I'll tell you what, absolutely. I mean, if you, if, uh, you know, you can get something done in a short period of time, you know, life-wise, uh, we're looking at, and it's going to pay off for the, uh, you know, you're up until basically you're, uh, you know, you're 85 years old and you've got like five or six grandkids, then uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to massively pay off, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, you say 85 years old and it brings me on to pensions, right? I mean, okay. pensions, right? What a fallacy they are, because when they were created, the average age of the average person, right, was 57. And that's no that's longer why, the case. That's why they set the age at 65. Now the average age is what, 82, 83? Mm-hmm. And you're retiring at 65. The pension system is creaking at the seams. It can't cope. Absolutely. Right, with us living, right? And apparently, you know, uh, the NHS, right? You spend more in the last five years of your life than you did in the previous 75, right? In mm -hmm. the NHS, creaking at the seams for a very good reason because people are living longer and longer. I mean, you know, and so we can't rely on, you know, the old 40, 40, 40. Most people start working at the age of 25. They work 40 years up to the age of 65. So they work 40 hours for 40 years of their life to uh, live on 40% of what they can't live on now. How does that make any sense? Yeah. So it's, uh, I mean, I have to say in, in that case, you know, basically the, uh, I mean, there's something that's going to have to happen with the current system because if if, if you do have the NHS creaking at the seams because of uh, of rising ages, and if you have um, you know the, the situation which is becoming absolutely untenable, I mean, I mean, how would you? I mean, how would you? Would you expect the system to either? I mean, if it doesn't creak, I mean, at least evolve out of the uh, the situation that we've got now. Um, it's very difficult, Aaron, to predict the future. Yeah, um, so. it really is very, very difficult to predict the future. You know, all it takes is Labour to go out and, uh, sorry, Conservatives to go out, or the the Mickey Mouse government that we have today oh, yeah. to go out, Labour to come back in, right? And everything changes again, right? And every five years, right, something's going to change because you know we don't like what the government is doing now, mm. right? Like there was program led apprenticeships up until three years ago, you know, and there were thousands and thousands of teenagers that were going into industry after uh, completing program led apprenticeships, right? Which was great. Government decided, oh no, we can't have program led apprenticeships anymore, okay? Uh, they have to be practical based. So now we've got thousands and thousands of teenagers in the UK today, okay, that three years ago would have had an opportunity that they don't have today because of the legislation that changed by the government. The future is very hard to predict, Aaron. What we can do, okay, is make a decision today, okay, and decide what our future is going to look like in the next five or 10 years, yeah. or we can do an ostrich and bury our heads in the sand and pretend it's not happening and yeah. it's all gonna go away. Which it is, just isn't. Yeah, which is the worst thing we could possibly do, whether it be uh, you know your personal debt, whether it be your national debt, or whether it be just global debt in general. The worst yeah. thing you could possibly do is, uh, yeah. is get a get a get a get a bucket and spade and start digging. It's like yeah. yeah. 
absolutely. Oh. And Aaron, you know, my uh, my book, you know, the the Yikes book for short, you already gave the title, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the the book, you know, it's uh, it's Yikes because that's what it is. And you know, the book is more about changing your mindset, okay, than it is about giving you financial strategies. Yeah. Okay. Of getting out of debt. Yes, it says five steps of getting out of debt. In fact, it's actually five steps to success. That's what it is. Because those five principles can be applied to literally every area of your life. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, if uh, the the book is as good as this half an hour that we just had now i'm absolutely going to be having my head in it when uh, when it once it comes out so have you got a, a plan when it's uh, going to be released i'm hoping uh, aaron at the moment i'm working with my uh, publisher and uh, we're looking hopefully to have a uh, um, a release date of roughly around about february if uh, anybody wants to uh, get themselves on my mailing list for that uh, you know, by all means, uh, they can do that. If you want to send me uh, an email on uh, majidy at live.co.uk and, um, you know, put Yikes book in uh, the subject, I will put you on uh, my mailing list. And what I can do um, is up until the book does come out, what I will be doing is sending out weekly, you know, uh, snippets, if you like, you know, or motivational, you know, uh, sentence of the uh, week, if you like, you know, uh, just to um, remind people that I am there and obviously also remind them about the book as well. Absolutely. That's serving. Uh... It's been great talking to you, Majid, again, and uh, just shows to show why you were my teacher and why I'm still <laughs> I'm still a student, pretty much in the, in that case. Aaron, so, <laughs> fantastic! Uh, I, I I truly appreciate you giving me the opportunity to uh, come on uh, to your show, and you know one of the uh, things that's the most satisfying about uh, being a teacher and a mentor is to see your students uh, flourish and do well yeah. and that's something that I'm very proud of with yourself and I was as uh, when you were a student and I had no doubt that you uh, would do that um, uh, fantastic thanks for uh, uh, letting me on the show Aaron it's no problem pleasure. absolutely and it's been an absolute pleasure for me as well Okay, coming up later in the show, we have uh, United Against Fascism's Wayman Bennett. He's going to be talking to me about uh, the rise of UKIP, Islamophobia, and also uh, a few other issues as well regarding uh, the uh, what he regards as the uh, the social revolution and the left unity that's currently going in the country. Well, uh, we'll see uh, what he has to say about that. So you are listening to the Aaron Meta Show on Mixcloud.com forward slash Aaron Meta, and also you can find me on uh, the Stitcher app as well. I'm trying to get myself onto iTunes. I'm still uh, working on it at the moment, but uh, you can obviously still listen to me here uh, once again magic thank you very much for being on the show stick around we'll be right back okay so i'm here at this uh, socialist workers party meet uh, here in uh, manchester i'm in the friends quaker house as well and uh, actually with me now uh, very su- surprisingly so soon is uh, wayman bennett who is the uh, general secretary of unite against fascism and also is uh, part of the committee for the social workers party thank you very much for joining me i'm very glad to be here and uh, speaking out in Manchester against um, for discussing racism, Islamophobia and why people should stand together and revolt against the divisions that are taking place, particularly with the growth of UKIP. I believe that um, racism has become a serious issue 
in this country, and increasingly so, as the uh, main political parties are all pushing for those ideas, really. And uh, what uh, basically concerns you the most about the UK Independence Party at the moment? I think because the racist populism, as opposed to fascism, um, is the, has opened up as a door attacking the very deep unity that exists inside the working class. Um, it's very clear that a minority of people have benefited since um, 1990, from, since 2008, and that's been the top 1% of the 1% have enriched themselves um, at the cost of all of us. And, they, and I think the argument that you blame somebody and you blame migrants has um, gained, has gained um, currency. So I think that the UK Independence Party is a racist party and it uses racism being able to build, but in practice, their leader's a millionaire, the deputy leader's a multi-millionaire, and, they, you know, and they, they get more money than any other political party together because it's a party of millionaires. I mean, if you say that it's, uh, you know, there's this uh, uh, more kind of Tory-esque uh, you know, slant to uh, the UK Independence Party, why did they do so well in Haywood and Middles and by-election? Because they hide who they are, and also, when you look at the, the um, election, People are opposed to austerity in this country. The majority of people are opposed to cuts in the NHS, are opposed to cuts in their living standards, attacks on pensioners, closing down of schools, privatisation, and none of the main parties will speak to that. So the UK Independence Party pretends to be something that it's not, which is a party that speaks for the working class, speaks for the ordinary person. After all, where does a millionaire, a banker, Nigel Farage, the people that caused the crisis in 2008, present himself as the saviour of it. Do you mean? And I, yeah. I believe that the question of the in, of, of UK independence parties, they're able to hide that. And I think our job is to expose it, really. Yeah. Do you worry, though, there might not be much of an appetite for a fight with Nigel Farage, given the fact that you know, this is not Nick Griffin, you know, who was uh, pretty much outright racist and fascist, as we saw on his appearance at Question Time and also on various other embarrassing stunts that he's had. And obviously now he's been boosted out of the BNP and they've started to become a non-entity. And it's not kind of like the EDL, where it's just basically just a bunch of drunken racist football hooligans that uh, can't get into football stadiums no more to cause trouble, so they come out onto the streets. Do you fear that because there's a, a likable factor to Nigel Farage and there is this kind of appeal of uh, anti-politics uh, towards UKIP that uh, this time around it may be more of a struggle than it was before. I think popularism, popularising what people are angry about, exists. The difference is, if you look at the yes vote in Scotland, the anger was directed to the question of why they should leave because if you want to stop these austerity attacks, you vote yes. The anger that exists in the same as it does in England has been directed to the idea that immigrants are getting a better deal than citizens. And I believe that that can, that can work. So populist anger exists about the austerity. These, um, since 1850, wages have not been cut this low since then. And therefore, part of that anger can go in different ways. It can go towards the left, as I believe it did in Scotland, around the Yes vote, around the SNP, around Tommy Sheridan and Solidarity. Or it can go towards the right, in the sense that if you listen to what, um, you know, if you listen to UK Independence Party, they say they speak for working people better than the Labour Party. And that's what they did in Rotherham when they were in favour of closing the pits when they're more Thatcherite than Thatcher. So it's possible to fool people, but you can't fool people all of the time. My, my argument about UKIP is that Enoch Powell opened the door to the National Front, and I believe that UKIP will open the door to the far right and fascist groups um, 
you know, like the deals that they're making with Le Pen, like suddenly they're making a deal with a Holocaust denier. Oh, but it's just about that. They open the door to the far right. And that, I think, articulates arguments which I think are unacceptable. I mean, I'm no, uh, I mean, my Twitter feed is probably more of evidence of this, but I'm no advocate for UKIP. But uh, they have said they won't ally with Front National in uh, France. Yeah, they have uh, taken on this Polish MEP. I will give you that. Though there is, I mean, do you really think that, though, UKIP can exist as this entity as it exists now, given the fact that it's taking in former Tory voters en masse, also taking in some minority of uh, former Liberal Democrat voters, and also taking on some of uh, uh, the Labour, uh, the, basically the Labour movement. Do you feel, though, that it may, in a couple of years' time, just implode, and we might just be thinking, you know, what were we worried about in the first place? I believe that Britain is becoming more parallel to what's going on in the continent with the growth of Gert Wilders, the Front National, um, a series of other FPO inside Austria, the response to austerity, Golden Dawn, where you have either fascist, far-right or populist groups attempting to take advantage out of the crisis, which the left can lead for working-class people or the right can lead. And I think we're involved, and I believe that UKIP are now going to be a feature of politics. And what the, the main impact of UKIP is to pull politics to the right. Um, otherwise, why would you have Mike Reed in a, a fake Jamaican accent singing Calypso? Something that went out when I was a kid, there used to be a program called Love Thy Neighbour On or uh, Alf Garnet, some really old racist stuff which has seen as unacceptable. Suddenly they feel that they can make it acceptable. So I think the impact of UKIP is to make the unacceptable acceptable. And I think part of the reason why we have to fight them is because they will pull, they will make racism uh, and it's a respectable thing. Why has um, Green been made a peer today by David Cameron, the man that launched Migration Watch? It's because it's a nod to those people to say, yes, I am taking your concerns seriously. Migration as in, did not cry, cause the 2008 banking crisis in Lehman Brothers or the Stock Exchange. It was caused by the structural nature of British capitalism and international capitalism. That was acknowledged at the time, but the people who are getting the blame for it are migrants, Roma, and I believe that we have to do something to make sure that, that we have a positive alternative to those people instead of the racist agenda that's been set by UKIP. Yeah. I mean, my criticism of Unite Against Fascism, and you know, this dates back for very many years, has been the fact that basically it's very good at mobilising, I would say, young students, uh, some people, onto the streets to basically you know, voice their discontent. But when it basically just comes to the election for the SWP, it just doesn't hold out. I mean, uh, what, don't you feel that there should be some kind of change of, of, uh, of strategy this time around to confront UKIP in elections across the country and also the general election as well? Let me be clear. Unite Against Fascism is taken on the BMP and the EDL. Stand Up to UKIP is another organisation which I support will be taken on UKIP um, because there's a difference between fascism and racist popularism. Stand Up to UKIP put out leaflets against UKIP because UKIP is not a fascist party but it is encouraging racism and division, bigotry, and I think that's what, that's the vehicle for taking it on. Yeah. But isn't that your uphill struggle? Because this time around, you're not facing a fascist party. This time around, you're facing a uh, populist party, which has some kind of republicanisms that uh, come out of the United States of America. Well, I think they're more akin to the Tea Party movement, um, bigotry, 
Um, well, again, they're very popular in America too. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, but um, do you know the truth of it is you can ally populism with racism, and it can be effective. Enoch Powell was very popular in this country. Um, you know, there was if you look at the vote, a, a very old vote that took place in 1965 with a man called Patrick Gordon Walker. There was a swing towards Labour, but in the area which he lived in, Smethwick, there was a swing against him because he said, "If you want to use, forgive my language, a nigger for a Labour, vote Labour." Right. So we know that racist populism can work, and the whole election was a war then that anti-immigrant racism actually pulls people together. In terms of stopping that, to be honest, we live in a society that's multiracial and multicultural. And actually, the truth is, UKIP's appeal, they've said that people under the age of 35 don't like UKIP because they represent something. It's not an accident that Mike Reed's 67. Um, you know, their, their biggest appeal is to people over 70 because they remember what it was like in the good old days. And to be perfectly honest, um, I, I think there's a chance to stop UKIP because they, what they're suggesting for young people, what they're suggesting for ordinary people doesn't fit and that's the reason why I think we can mobilise to stop them. But we should be aware what's fueling UKIP is just the politics of austerity, cuts, wage cuts, um, lack of opportunities, as long as that's going on. I think there has to be an alternative. I think there has to be a positive alternative that people that speak up for people. That's what people want. They want change. Except for UKIP aren't promising change, except for a change to go backwards. So. Out of interest, uh, yeah, well, one last question. I mean, uh, should the SWP end up with an MP uh, the next general election? Uh, should it ever happen? And we end up in uh, hung parliaments again. I mean, would you feel comfortable if that MP said to Ed Miliband, I will ally with you in a coalition government? Uh, uh, let's be clear. I think there needs to be left unity. I think the whole of the left, including the SWP, has to come together with people they disagree with and offer a collective direction for the whole of the working class. I believe, you know, the politics of the SWP is for a fundamental, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm a socialist revolutionary, right? I don't believe that's the politics of UAF. I think there's Labour Party people, anarchists, um, vegetarians, militant animals, everybody against the fascist, right? I think my particular thing is that working class people can only be free if, under capitalism, the wealth of society is directed to their needs. But I think the electoral question is for the whole of the left to stand and have somebody that represents this. That happened with George Galloway briefly, in terms of somebody from the left candidate that took that. I believe we need people that speak out for people and speak out for justice initially. And that means that we do have to have a voice that counters Farage and also speaks up for housing for people, jobs for people and against racism. That needs to be a left alternative. I think that needs, you know, that's what it needs. Um, for a bigger question, a bigger change in society, I'll be unashamedly, be honest with you, I do believe in a, um, a, a just revolution where the 99% of people make political make decisions and the minority who are super rich don't have the power to do that. Okay. Well, it's been great, great speaking to you, Wayman, and uh, yeah. yeah, I'm going I'm to head off and uh, faster I get this in now, the better. Thank you very much.